the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program as we begin another new week. Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program committed to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything. All we need you to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you're driving in your car, The safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free and safe, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. We got a lot going on here. I'm a guy that doesn't like clutter, and this whole church is filled with clutter. Today we began our Calvary Kids Bible School, which is our vacation Bible school. And a bunch of kids here making a lot of noise. But they've got stuff on every wall and on the stage. And it looks like the kids are having a good time. They're certainly having a loud time. Uh, Our Vacation Bible School is free. If there's anybody who's looking for something to do uh, that's edifying for their kids, uh, 9 o'clock until noon uh, every day this week, our Calvary Kids Bible School here in the sanctuary, it costs nothing, and your kids will learn about Jesus. They'll have a lot of fun, and maybe you'll have some time to yourself. So all you have to do is show up. Tomorrow morning, let whoever's at the door know that you heard about it on the radio show, and you will be allowed to come in and have a great, great time. Another reminder before we get to questions, um, uh, tonight our Sweet Summer Devotion series continues. Uh, Barbara Arispe will uh, be sharing her heart tonight. That's at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvarysa.com. But remember, for here, you also participate in the uh, question and answers. We don't put that on. We want it to be a real intimate time 
uh, and it's always a good time. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock, and of course, uh, Pastor Ken will be teaching the men at the same time, and we have our uh, high school and junior high school Bible studies going on at the same time, so you can make it a family affair. Okay, let's get to some questions while we wait your phone calls. Our first question comes from Nacho from our email inbox. And he asks, could 1 Corinthians 15.39 be used to point out the error and argument of evolution? Um, yeah, it could be. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.39 says, all flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. We also, Nacho, have in the creation account, God making uh, different species after their own kind. Yeah, there's never any in, uh, hint that that uh, God's crossing species or something. So it's each after their own kind. And, you know, uh, the argument of evolution is... Um, I have to watch what I say carefully. I, I'm, I said it's silly. Uh, we, we believe it because we were taught it when we were young. Um, there's... Neanderthals and there's cavemen and the earth is millions of years old and um, none of that could possibly be true. It's the silliest notion ever and uh, I think logic precludes that and and every other theory of creation is simply um, nonsensical. So uh, Nacho, in the beginning God uh, I, I just think when somebody's arguing evolution I think what you have to do is you have to ask them, okay, what science, what evidence do you base that belief on? Or is it just because that's what they told you when you went to school? So First uh, Corinthians 15.39, I've never thought of it before that way, but yeah, I'm not sure that could be an argument against it as well. Here's a question that I've been anxious to get to. I had it last week. This comes from Phil. He says, and I love his honesty here, he says, I'm not a normally kind person. I want to be compassionate, but it's just not in me. What can I do to change? Uh, Phil, I so admire your honesty. Most of the time we make up excuses for not being kind or compassionate. Um, But you just say, this is not who I am. Uh, That's why being born again, Phil, is so important. Now, you're listening to a Christian radio show, and people might assume that you're born again, but I don't want you to do that. When you're born again, the old is gone, the new has come. And Jesus, when he comes to live in you in the person of the Holy Spirit, he gives you a new you. The old you is dead. So here's what I would do, Phil, and I'm going to assume for the moment that you're born again. If not, get born again, and you will change. I promise. I have never been a, a, a kind person by nature. Uh, pretty much I'm a selfish jerk and I have a short fuse and patience with people that are, are are irritating or in my way. All that changed when I got saved, when I met Jesus. I I really struggled, by the way, with this. I, I you know, I, I got saved. It was a pretty radical conversion. But I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know anything about Jesus when I got saved. But I started caring about people. And I couldn't figure it out. And uh, it just, it was a change. When you meet Jesus, he comes to live in you. And so you you get saved and Jesus changes you. Uh, The other thing you've got to realize that you have to work hard at not being the old you. 
you know, even though we're born again, Jesus comes to live in us, our flesh dies a slow, painful life. So what we have to do is we have to think about being kind. It's it's not instinctive. It's not natural. And so we have to think about it. I, I envy, uh, not in a bad way, Phil, but in a good way, I envy naturally kind people. The, the kind of person that gives people the benefit of the doubt, the, the way we're supposed to love people. Um, uh, I, I have to work hard at it. I have to remember that this is a person that, that Jesus loves. So here's what you need to do. Assuming you're a believer, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit lives in you if you're a believer. But what you've got to do is surrender your flesh to the will of God and let the Holy Spirit and His power be in charge in your life. And that's all you do. Just say, Jesus, you you live in me. You take control. And then when you're obedient, you take that step of obedience. Even when your flesh says you don't want to be kind, you take the step of obedience and go out of your way to show kindness. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. So what you want to do is demonstrate that kindness to others in your life. And when you're obedient to the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you and changes you. Now, it's also important, Phil, that you spend time in the Word. You've got to know who Jesus is. You've got to know what He expects of us. You can anticipate the kind of changes that you're going to have. You know, I think about John and James, the, the sons of thunder. You know, they weren't nice young men. But John became the disciple who Jesus loves. Why? Because he spent time with Jesus. He spent time listening to the word from the the living word of God. Well, when we spend time in our Bibles, Phil, then the the supernatural power of God's word begins to transform you. Romans chapter 12 says that we're not to be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. And in your case, don't be conformed any longer to the old patterns of behavior or life. But be renewed in the mind, in your thinking. In other words, new thinking, a new way of perceiving the world that we live in. But be renewed in your thinking, the renewing of your mind in the Word. And then you'll know what God's will is in these kinds of situations. So um, be obedient. That'll give you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Die to you every day. When you find yourself getting short or irritated, just, just okay, Lord, here's that same pattern. I don't want to do that anymore. And, and remember that the enemy is going to be there trying to keep you who you used to be. So you got to fight. That's why you need to be in the Word. you got to know how to fight. And then um, most of all, and, and all of this is spending time with Jesus, but most of all, Phil, just be with Jesus. You know, when you're walking with Jesus, you're talking to Jesus, if you're at work and, and there's somebody there who's uh, causing you some difficulty, all you got to do is, if Jesus is there, say, Jesus, show me what you think of this person. Show me how to love this person the way you want me to love them. And I promise you, you'll change. I promise you, you'll change. So, congratulations on your honesty, but now you've got to make a decision that you're going to be different than the old Phil. Thank you, Phil. 
340-9585. We'd like to get the week started off with your phone calls. Here's a question from Michael. He says, Pastor Ron, I'm struggling with the word elect. How can I know I am elect? And how can I tell someone else they are elect if I don't know for sure? Uh, Michael, don't don't struggle with the word elect. Um, um, here, here's the idea. The elect means chosen. And we were chosen by God. Now, we were chosen. Romans eight twenty nine and 1 Peter chapter 1, the first two verses, indicate very clearly that the basis of God choosing you is his foreknowledge. He chose me when I wasn't saved. He chose me before the foundation of the world because he knew that there would be a day in February of 1991 when I would surrender my heart to him. So I was marked out. I was chosen. And on that day when I gave my life to Jesus, it was sort of like God saying, okay, I got what I wanted. So don't worry about the term elect. It's not like God chooses somebody and then he doesn't choose somebody else. We all have the opportunity to be chosen by God simply by responding to the choice that he makes. Very, very important. You can know for sure you're elect. Just one second. Sorry, I thought I had to sneeze. Uh, you can know you're elect by saying yes to Jesus. That's all. There's no mystery in it. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe in you. I choose to, to make you my Lord and Savior, and you are elect. And as for knowing whether somebody else is elect or not, well, that's not up to you. You just share the gospel with them. You tell them about Jesus. If they respond, then you know they are elect. If they don't respond, you know that at least not yet. They haven't been elect. So I think it's really important. Don't struggle with it. Just talk to people. Tell them the gospel. Tell them about Jesus Christ. And then rejoice because he loves them. Michael, good question. Here is an anonymous question. Um, She says, I divorced my husband for unbiblical reasons. I get sad every time I think about what I did when I realized I was in sin Uh, My husband was already remarried. Am I doomed to be alone because of my choice? Um, You've accepted responsibility for divorcing your husband. Um, I ask God to forgive you. I assume that you've already done that. You certainly can't reconnect with your husband uh, anonymous because he's now remarried. So here's what you do. You live with the choice that you made. And if God brings somebody else in your life, then his grace for living would allow you to remarry. Um, God's heart was broken when you divorced for unbiblical reasons. You're paying the price for that. Um, but but you, you, nobody's doomed to be alone because you made a bad choice. God's grace is a wonderful, wonderful gift to all of us. Let me also say this, and I think this is important. Um When you ask, are you doomed to be alone, you're never alone with Jesus. You may not be married to a man. There may not be a man in your life, but Jesus, the man, is in your life. And you will never be lonely. You can be alone without being lonely. And sometimes the consequences of the choices we make, I don't know, anonymous, whether or not God has somebody else for you out there or not. Um, But here's what I would do to you. I would simply say, Lord, I sinned against you. And I'm asking you for another opportunity because I don't like being alone. But ask for a second chance. Jesus, I blew the first one. Could you find it in your heart to give me another chance? And then spend 
your time getting so close to Jesus that he can be transforming you, preparing you for the man that he may eventually answer your prayer with. But the one thing you don't want to do, the enemy will, will, will without mercy, pound you. You don't want to focus on the sin. You don't want to focus on the fact that you're alone. What you want to do is you want to um, thrive where you are. Learn to thrive with Jesus while you're single. And if you do that, then you'll thrive if God brings a man into your life. But don't focus on a human being now. Now is the time for you to, to find out that Jesus is a pretty good husband. That Jesus will meet your needs, that his grace is sufficient. We also know that he loves to give many second chances. So here's what you do. You simply say, I'm sorry. And then start serving God with all of your heart. Get involved in church. Get involved in ministry. I've been doing a, a series now. We've had it uh, for four weeks. I've got one more week. I'm going to be dealing with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, it's it's been about using the gifts that God has given you for his glory in the body that he's given you. So wherever it is that you go to church, find somebody there and say, okay, I got time. I'm single. How can I serve? I want to serve God. And find opportunities. There are many, many opportunities to serve in local bodies. So you find out just how wonderful God's grace for living really is. But you do that by preparing now for whatever's going to happen in the future. And we only prepare now by being close to Jesus, being faithful to him. Serve. Start serving others instead of looking to be served. Start meeting the needs of others instead of start, instead of worrying about your needs being met. Just say, Jesus, it's just me and you. Let's make the most of it. And one thing I can promise you, Anonymous, is that he will always answer that prayer. Get your eyes off you and your singleness Get your eyes off your ex-husband and look right into the beautiful eyes of Jesus Christ. Let me do one other thing for you. Let me suggest to you, and I do this quite often with people that struggle with being alone. Um, go to the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, depending on the translation that you're reading, and read all of the parts that are under the heading of lover. Uh, if you read at an average speed, it will take you eight to ten minutes to read them all. Read them several times because that's Jesus talking to you. That's Jesus sharing his heart of love and passion for you. And when you can learn to accept that kind of love, when Jesus can look at you and say, "All oh, beautiful you are, my darling, you're perfect is what he's saying. When you can really believe that, you'll never feel alone again in your life. Song of Solomon doesn't take long. Eight to ten minutes, just the parts that have the heading, lover. And that's you. Jamie. Oh, is this Jaime or Jamie? Looks like Jaime. Jamie's Jamie. Okay. Jamie or Jaime? When you ask God for wisdom, how do you get the answer? Um, the way I get the answer is usually, uh, you know, like 90% of the time in the Word. In the Word. 
So that's what I do. Jamie or Jaime, I ask God for wisdom. His Bible is full of it. And all you have to do is ask. You have not because you ask not or because you ask with the wrong motive. So check your heart. Make sure that that um, the wisdom that you're asking for uh, is the wisdom that says, thy will, not my will be done. And then God will give you the wisdom. Now, there are other ways. There's a spiritual gift of wisdom that we talked about, I think, three weeks ago now uh, here at Calvary Chapel. It's a supernatural gift when you're in a situation and you don't know um, um, exactly how you should respond. Um, God will give you the gift of wisdom. Again, you've got to be committed to using it for His glory, His will rather than your desires. But when you ask God for wisdom, James says He gives it liberally or generously. So you don't have to worry about it. There's also a spiritual gift of knowledge. And a lot of times, knowledge is the information we need. Wisdom is how to apply that information. And and uh, again, it's it's a gift of the Spirit, so it's not something that comes normally or naturally because it's supernatural. But believe me, God wants you to ask for it. He wants all of us to ask for it. When I taught this a few weeks ago, I told our church here that this is a gift that people should ask for every day. So ask God for wisdom. I think sometimes, Jamie or Jaime, I think sometimes um, we lack patience in waiting for the answer. You know, there's times when we sort of put God on a stopwatch. Okay, Lord, I asked for wisdom 20 minutes ago and I don't have it yet. Um, you know, just, just ask Him for wisdom. Spend time with Him. Spend time in the Word. God will give you the wisdom that you need. He's promised to do it. So this isn't something that we have to wonder, is God going to give us wisdom? Now, it may not always be the wisdom that we want. It may not be the answer we want. But believe me, we need this wisdom. Before we make changes in life, changes in jobs, or anything else, we need to, to ask God for wisdom, and he'll give it to you. So uh, it's not like I hear this voice, uh, audible voice or anything. It's just I know, I mean, I know that my question has been answered. Let's go to line one and talk with Jeff from San Antonio. Jeff, thanks for holding her on the air. Top of the week to you, Pastor Ron. It's happy Monday. Even with all the clutter all over the place. <laughs> it was really loud in here, Jeff. I bet it was louder than the than the the uh machinery out in the back too, I bet. Oh, <laughs> My office has been shaking all afternoon from that uh, earth mover. What's up, Jeff? We Pastor, got four minutes. Okay, I have to tell you that yesterday you were funnier than the announcer. I mean, <laughs> you were just hitting it left and right. and I mean, not just for a minute, but like all the way through. And I'm wondering if you could maybe just spend a few here on the other side, just doing a synopsis of uh, the one body, many parts. And, um, and and also, I'm curious, you mentioned something at the end of the sermon that man, these are three really different, uh, I'm sorry, at the end of your teaching, three really different services today. And I'm, I'm wondering mm-hmm. what the, what that dynamic is, and, and if you could talk about that a little bit. And talk to you later. Love you. Bye. 
Thank you, Jeff. I'll do that. And, and uh, uh, Brian, I know you're on hold, so please hold after the break and we'll get to you uh, right uh, at the top of the, the next half hour. Um, uh, Jeff, the, the last part, and I'll, I'll do, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, the last part is, is I just, um, you, you know, I can't see my notes. My, my vision is so bad I can't see my notes. So, uh, I've got the passage of Scripture. I know what it says. So what I'm always looking for is, Lord, what do you want to say to the people? Uh, you know who's here in each of the services. So what do you want to know? And I have the same basic outline, but um, there are just different times when the Spirit has different things to say to different people who are here. And yesterday was just unique. It was it was um, uh, the, the the most different three services I can remember uh, for a very, very long time. I, I can't remember which one I put on the, on the website, but, but first and first service was different than second and second was different from third. And, uh, it just God speaking to different people. So it's just one of those things where you want to stay sensitive to the leading of the spirit. And I always know when I've been sensitive to the spirit, because people will come up, uh, right after the, the the message and say, boy, I was just asking that question or God was just dealing with me on that issue. And so uh, that was that was it, Jeff. You know, the body of Christ, this is so important. You know, we, we live in a church culture where we think that we're okay on our own. I don't need church. So many Christians, well, I don't have to be in church or be a member of a church to be saved. And it's true, you don't, but it's not natural. And so the body of Christ together, We've got to find out where we fit in. God, we learned in the study yesterday, has a plan. And, and a plan for each and every one of us. And if we're not obedient to being in that plan, then we're the ones who are missing out. And that's why we've got to get to this place where we start coming to church, not to be served, but rather to serve. That's our Jesus impression. That's where we open our hearts and say, Lord, show me divine appointments, people that need to be ministered to. And if we look to minister to people instead of being ministered by people, then we have a wonderful opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. Jeff, the body is really important. I may come back to this after I talk with Brian. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left on the Monday show, 340-9585. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. Let's go to our patient friend, Brian. Brian, thanks for holding. You're on the air. So, um, I have a quick question. I'm in the book of Genesis, and I'm reading where... uh, Abraham, or Abram at the time, and Lot, they got into a dispute, or their herdsmen got into a dispute, uh-huh. and as a result, they decided to separate. Uh, the Bible really doesn't elaborate much if um, if they try to resolve the dispute, or it just seems kind of trivial that uh, they decided to, to part ways over a little dispute about flock, and I'm wondering if... if Abraham or Lot sinned 
by doing that because there is a lot of consequences, especially for Lot and his family. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on that and about the separation? And, and was it sinful that they made such a, a seemingly rash decision? Um, and, and, and I'm just curious to know your thoughts on that. Okay, Brian, thank you. I can do that. I, I, I just finished the book of Genesis uh, last Wednesday. We start in the prophecy of Daniel uh, in just a couple of days this Wednesday. Uh, and so uh, Abram and, and uh, his family are really been on my heart and mind. So um, I, I don't think there was anything sinful in the dispute. Uh, the, the sin, of course, would have been in the herdsmen. And I think because their flocks had grown so large, God had blessed them so abundantly, I think it was a matter of space, pasture space, um, um, where they could keep the flocks separate. So I don't think it was a dispute. I think it was a sinful dispute. I think it was a matter of, hey, you know, we've grown so big, we just don't have any more room. We got to do something here. Now, this was in in two different ways, really a significant time in both of their lives. For Abram, and I'll start with him. Um, uh, Abram is called the father of our faith. In my mind, Brian, this was one of his greatest demonstrations of faith. Um, He was the elder. He was the patriarch. He's the one who could have demanded that his nephew respect him. He could have dictated, but instead, here's what he said. He said, Lot, you choose which way you want to go, and I'll go the other direction. In other words, I don't need the place that looks good. God's taking care of me. He's got me to this place, and he'll continue to take care of me. And rather than insisting on his own rights, insisting that his nephew submit to him and take orders from him, uh, he, he took the place of a servant. What a great Jesus move that was. Um, um, I trust God. That's what he was saying. What a great witness that was to Lot. Now, we also know, you talked about the consequences for Lot. Lot did what young men do. Um, we look around and see what looks good to us. We look at the circumstances. Yeah, that looks right. Or that looks good. Remember, they could look at the, at the city of Sodom and and see that it was a well-watered plain. It was close to the city. So Lot made a choice, not based by faith. When, when Abraham said that to him, Lot should have said, No, uncle, I defer to you. That, that would have been respect. That would have been his own faith. But instead, he took what looked good to him. And it's a lesson for all of us that what looks good to us from an earthly perspective isn't always the right thing. And that's when we ought then to ask God for wisdom. Now, in his particular case, he looked at the city, thought about the city life, thought about the convenience. And once... Uncle Abraham and his herd is gone. This is this is going to be a great place. And he jumped, and we know it led to huge compromise in his life. Some years later, when he had become an important person in the city, uh, and the angels came to him and said, we got to get you out of here. Uh, we're going to destroy this place. Uh, he couldn't even convince his wife and his sons-in-law to come. He'd lost any influence, Brian, that he had. And the influence, because of a compromised witness, cost them their lives. And so there was a lot of compromise. It started with looking at what was good and, and desiring it. 
Then we find out later that he's in the city gate, which means he's in a position of importance. We would say the mayor or city councilman. He joined the city. And then finally, his family was so immersed in the wicked life in Sodom and Gomorrah that they didn't want to leave, even though the angels appeared to them and told them that he was going to destroy the place. So it's a huge thing. I don't think the choice initially was sinful. I don't think it was a dispute between uh, Abraham and Lot. I think the herdsmen just kind of fussed. We need more space. There's just too many of us. The space is too little for both of us. And so they went their separate ways. Abraham, as always in his life, took the way of faith. Lot, seemingly as always, looked at what seemed right to him and did that. And Brian, that is a huge, huge lesson because what seems right to us most often is not. So when we got to say, okay, Lord, what do you want? Somebody offers you a new job and it looks perfect. You've been praying for a new job and more money. What you got to do is say, Lord, is this from you? And that's where we go to the question that was asked in the first part about wisdom. Um, uh, you ask God for wisdom. You know, especially, Brian, we who are men, uh, Lot had a lot of people that would pay for his carnal choice. We who are men, the leaders of our homes, the heads of our houses, we got kids and wives looking at us and following us, and we make bad choices. They suffer the consequences of those choices as well. So we owe it to our families to make sure they understand that every decision we make is bathed in the Word of God and bathed in prayer. When when there's a, a husband and a wife involved, the husband always needs to bring his wife into partnership with that decision. Let her pray about it. Give her some input. So it's not you dictating terms, but instead it's the two of you as one flesh determining what the will of God is. So, again, I don't think it was sin. It's not like... Uh, Paul and Barnabas when they had a, a very sharp dispute in the book of Acts about John Mark. Um, I, I just think the, the, the area they were in was too small. God had blessed them so abundantly. Um, and again, we know the consequences that were paid by Lot later on. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let me go back. We don't have anybody holding on the line, so let me go back to to uh, to Jeff's uh, question. The first part I ran out of time about body life. You know, one of the beautiful things about the body of Christ, and in the the examples I used yesterday were a, a jigsaw puzzle uh, or, a, or an orchestra conductor. Um, um, God makes beautiful music with us if we simply do what we've been called to do. If we use the gifts God has given us and we're obedient and faithful in the, the, the distribution of those gifts, then God will meet every need in the church. I mean, think about it. If everybody in your church gave what you gave, would there be enough money to do what God wants you to do? If everybody in your church saved the way you served, would there be enough help for people? And, and the body is so diverse in its giftedness, so diverse in its personality. One of the things I communicated to the church here yesterday was that, that, that the idea is unity, not uniformity. There's a big difference, but unity. 
And God uses the beautiful diversity in each body to do wonderful things if the body is simply tuned in and will listen to him. But it requires everybody using the gifts that God has given them for his glory and for the benefit of others. In our church culture, Jeff, we have a tendency to look at church like, well, let's go see if that church will meet my needs. That's one way to be sure that that church won't meet your needs. Our job should be to say, Lord, where can I go meet the needs of others? And when God puts you in um, a church, you need to take root. Stay faithful. Be persevering. And let God move you. You're faithful with one gift, God will give you more. And the diversity in the body is magnificent. You know, I said yesterday, Jeff, you heard me. I said, we, um, you know, I'm the church mouth. I, I, I talk. I'm the guy teaching the Bible. But, but my gift and my role is no more important than any other role in this church body. I wish everybody could see the number of people that, that we, we have here for Calvary Kids Bible School getting this place ready. And now, today, after they're done, they've been here all afternoon fixing it up for the next day. Yes, that's people using the gifts that God has given them. Um, Use them in a way that they will be blessed. Thank you for the question, Jeff. Appreciate it. Let's go to line one and talk with Daniel from San Antonio. Daniel, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Um, I just have a question regarding uh, biblical translations. Mm Mm-hmm what the most accurate biblical translation would be and what advantage or or disadvantage there would be to reading one over the other and and maybe what your recommendation is on which translation to read. Okay, I can do that. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate it very, very much. Um, um, I I think most people who listen to this program in length of time know that my preference is the 1984 version of the NIV. Um, It is, to me, by far the most accurate New Testament translation uh, going. Um, um, when I hear people keep teaching out of the King James, and I'll talk about that in a moment, they'll say, they'll read the King James verse, and well, well, this is what the original language means, and they'll, they'll, they'll translate it, um, uh, explain it, uh, just the way the NIV does. Uh, the NIV is written in manuscript form rather than the old King James or New King James verse by verse. It's easier to keep in context. Uh, but the 1984 NIV for New Testament study, I think, is the best. Now, I don't think it's the best for the Old Testament. Um, I, I prefer, personally, the New King James or the King James for the Old Testament. However, I don't just keep changing Bibles because I don't want to confuse people. Uh, but uh, the 1984 NIV is the, the one that I would recommend. It's readable. It's understandable. Um, and and I think it it uh, it just it'll it'll speak to your heart. Um, but there are plenty of good translations. The King James. I told you I'd get there in a moment. I love the King James. It's so memorable. It's easy to memorize for me because the language is unique. In fact, it is the Bible, Daniel, that I grew up on. Um, when I got saved, somebody, a friend of mine, got me a brand new, genuine leather. Uh, King James Version of the Bible, and I still have that Bible. Um, and and with my vision issues, our church can always tell when I'm 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 
I can't see because I'm quoting out of the, out of the King James because that's really what I've committed to memory. Um, so, so the King James is great. The New King James is great. Um, um, I'm not a big fan of, of, of some of the other translations, but the idea is find one that you will read, one that you're comfortable with. Uh, whether it's one of the newer translations, they come out of the Alexandrian manuscripts, which are, are a little bit older than the, the Texas Receptus or the, the, the majority manuscripts. There's plenty of good translations. Just get one. Let me warn you against some of the paraphrases. Uh, the Passion translation is the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, the 2011 NIV, which is what people are buying now, is horrible. Uh, unlike the 2000 uh, or the 1984 version, uh, the 2000, I, I just wouldn't have anybody here using it. Uh, and that's typically the one that's easy to find. Um, but again, the New King James, the King James, um, uh, today's English version, um, they're, they're good translations. Just make sure you read one. Stay away from the Passion Translation. I don't like the paraphrases like the message. Um uh, the Living Bible uh, is okay. Um, the New Living Translation, the NLT, uh, is very readable, uh, and and uh, I think that would be well uh, good as well. Again, they're all pretty reliable. Just find one that you'll open and turn the pages, Daniel. Thank you very very much for the question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Robert has a question. He says. Um, or it's actually a statement. It frustrates me that Christians are so against gay marriage, but have no problem marrying, divorcing, and remarrying. They should clean up their own house before attacking gay couples. You know, um, Robert, I, I'm going to say this in love, and you're going to have to trust me because it may not sound loving. Um, you need to get saved. You need Jesus. Um, of course Christians are against gay marriage. We're against gay marriage because that's an offense to God. Um, wh- why would we have any support at all for a, a same-sex marriage that that by participating in somebody's going to be condemned to eternity in hell? We're supposed to love people. Now, the fact that Christians fail in their own marriages is true. And you're right. We're the biggest bunch of hypocrites in the whole world. But... There's no sin for marrying somebody of the of an opposite gender and things not working out and, and divorcing. Um, should we do it? No, but people do it. Our hearts are hard. Jesus said Moses granted divorce because of the hardness of men's heart. We do the same thing. But But, Robert, there's no requirement that we have our own house in order, everything figured out. In order for us to say this is right and this is wrong, all we have to do is have the Word of God. So you're right. We Christians should clean up our own houses. But we're not attacking gay couples. What we're saying is we want you in heaven. We love you. And somebody who's committed to a homosexual lifestyle is rebelling against God. Period. There's no discussion about it. And um, you need to give, you need to know Jesus, Robert. You need to know Jesus. 
Here is an anonymous question. What is the responsibility of the church to care for single moms and their kids? Um, Anonymous, I personally think, now I'm not um, the majority in this, but I personally believe that single moms and their kids are sort of the New Testament 2021 equivalent of the widows and orphans in the Old Testament, and we're, we're commanded to take care of them. So I think the church is responsible to care for them. Now, that doesn't mean that we support them. Churches can't afford to support all of the single moms and sometimes single dads in the churches, but we need to be willing to help them. And uh, I can just tell you here at Calvary Chapel, we do help them um, and we do whatever we can. And I think uh, most of the single moms here, uh, their needs are being met. Uh, and their children's needs are being met, and uh, I, I think it's it's our responsibility. I think it would be an act of faithlessness uh, not to take care of those who are least able to care for themselves. You know, so many, especially single moms, and there's there's a whether we want to admit it or not, there is a disparity in the amount of money that's paid uh, a single parent, whether based on him being male or her being female. And that shouldn't be the case, but it is a reality. So I tell our single moms here all the time, um, we want to be able to help you. All we have to know is what the needs are. And if at all possible, help those needs. Just last week, Anonymous, I had a card that was left on my desk, and I opened it, and it was somebody who uh, the wife in the family was having a birthday. And uh, the husband said, you know, everything we have belongs to God, and and um, the wife asked the husband, instead of spending money for a birthday gift or a night out to dinner, uh, could we just give whatever money you'd spent for my birthday? Can we find it, give it to single moms in the church? And they went out and bought a whole bunch of uh, $50 gift cards from HEB. And we were able to pass out those gift cards for the single moms and their kids. Um, there are times when they lose their jobs. We step in to help. I personally believe that's the responsibility of every single church. And I think it really pleases the Lord. So that's what I think about your question. And again, there are some, you know, if they won't work, they won't eat. Um, Sometimes they're single moms. uh, It's their fault. Um, But but you know what? Kids got to eat. So I hope that helps. Here's a question from Daniel, a different Daniel, I think. I believe the gifts of the Spirit have ceased because of 1 Corinthians 13 saying that, saying when the perfect is come and the Bible is perfect. Um, Daniel, that's really bad exegesis. That's, in fact, it's not exegesis at all. It's eisegesis. Um, there, there's no way, and I'm currently in 1 Corinthians, I'm finishing 1 Corinthians 12 and just getting into 1 Corinthians 13. There's no basis upon which we can say that the author intended for us to understand that the Bible is that which is perfect. Even the Apostle Paul, the writer of the letter to the Corinthians, he didn't know he was writing the Bible at the time. He was just communicating by letter to churches that he founded. Now, I agree that the Bible is perfect, but that's not when the perfect has come. When the perfect has come, when the gifts cease, that's a reference to Jesus coming in his glory. We won't need um, the gifts of the Spirit when we're, we're operating in the millennial reign. We certainly won't need the gifts of the Spirit when we're in heaven with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus will have already come. And 
The gifts of the Spirit are not what's in view in 1 Corinthians 13. And that's just a really, really bad uh, way of of, uh, interpreting. I I think you've almost got to want to misunderstand um, that saying, when the perfect has come, the gifts will stop when the perfect has come. You've got to have a a sort of an agenda there. I realize, Daniel, and there are a lot of churches that that, um, are cessationist in their their philosophy because they they see the gifts of the spirit abused so often but but the abuse coming from those who say the gifts of the spirit have ceased is just as bad if not worse than the abuses we see of the gifts men like John MacArthur talk about the the, the, the those who are charismatic are are being led by the devil being deceived by the devil um, it's simply uh, there's no basis upon which to make that statement. So, Daniel, study your Bible. Don't just listen to what people say. Study your Bible, and you can't come to any other conclusion that when the perfect has come is a reference to Jesus and just to just to, to him. When he comes, we won't need gifts. Until then, we still need him. I think I've got time for one more question. Here's an anonymous question. Um, the Bible says, "If we seek God, He will appear, seek God earnestly. He will appear to us." I've been seeking Him and have asked Him to prove He's real by appearing to me. He is not. Is He real? Um, anonymous. We don't have to have Him appear to us because He's already appeared. The reality of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, is so obvious. We have two thousand years of history that demonstrates that Jesus was real. Now. I was a new believer. I'm assuming that you're a new believer. Uh, There were times when I'd go to bed every night saying, Jesus, I want to be like the Apostle Paul. Take me to heaven so I know if I'm making the right decisions. I want to know for sure if I'm doing the right thing. And God has never once taken me to heaven at night. But to prove that he's real, when there's an empty tomb that demonstrates that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, to prove that he's real, to ask him to do that when... That one man in a very small area, a small corner of the world, has changed the world and history more than any man or group of men who's ever walked the face of the earth. The one that can change a human heart. There's no doubt he's real. And that's why Jesus says in the word that we walk by faith and not by sight. All you have to do is add a little bit of faith to the evidence and you're going to find just how real Jesus is. And if you choose not to believe him, that's unbelief. And that's what condemns us. So Anonymous, he's promised if you seek him, you'll find him. But don't ask him to appear to you. That's pretty bold and pretty brazen. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. May the Lord bless you tonight. Remember Sweet Summer Devotions tonight at 7 o'clock. Uh, This is the word to stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.